Okay, so let us begin. As we saw last week, this is the second of the trilogy, whereby three classes have been dedicated. This one is sponsored anonymously in honor of my father, Rabbi Dr. Pinchas Khan. So uh, I also have to have something here that he'll feel connected to. Is, uh, let's start at the beginning. So theologically, I hope we recognize the complexity of that verse simply because we have different names of God being used. And those who've ever tried to translate or to edit translations of the Torah, one of the challenging things is always going to be how you translate names of God. So the, the people who always translate Elohim as God, or the one who always translate Hashem, Yudke Vavke, as God, so they're going to have, and God said, my name is, right, right with the bear Elohim, and El Moshe, and God said to Moshe, well, Yomi, let me said to him, I'm God, so I hope you realize that you'll be missing something in the verse if that's the entire... And, and on the other hand, a, a, there are those who don't like going any further. I'm, I'm saying for Hashkafa perspective, because to what extent do we really understand what, let's say, the Shem Havaya, for example, to what extent do we really know what it means? So even though my, in, in anything which I would have written, or certainly recently, when I say last five, ten years, I probably would have preferred that to be translated, and then you have to decide if you're going to use parentheses or just write Elohim, or, but I would have said the Almighty, Elohim possessing powers, the Almighty, said to him, I am the Eternal in terms of Yudke Vavke, which is really channeling something which I don't know how... It's in the Zohar and it's saying that that Hashem is a conglomeration of HaYehovah V'yiyah and therefore the Eternal. We're going to ignore for the moment the translations of those. I'm just pointing out that that's a challenge. Instead, what I want to do is to get to some of the theology behind it, which is why to a very great extent we may not be getting far beyond this first section of the Parsha. God then continues and tells us something which is actually more challenging than I think some of the commentaries led on to. And I've appeared to Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, and now it added for us perhaps two more names, Kel, which again is something denoting power, Shakai, which then creates its own challenge, what the word Shakai would indicate, U Shmi Hashem, but my name Hashem, Lo Nodati Lahem. Now, the word Nodati is itself, or the form of Nodati is, I could say made known, but the question is, what does it mean? So if anybody wanted to go back, and originally in my sources, and all this got thrown away at some point, I collected all the places that God did appear to the Avot using this name. And there are multiple times. If you want, you can go and do your homework. And, but as I, or you can be lazy and you can ask me to send you the list. The funny thing, by the way, about using the search engines for this is a number of the search engines are set up that they don't identify yud Hey vav Hey because it's not there, because they automatically change it, let's say, to Hashem. So therefore, even if, either way that you search, it's not going to find it. You have to actually do the old-fashioned way of either remembering or just going chapter by chapter. But as I said, there's multiple times that, that God appears as Yudke Vavke to Avraham. So, so now the question is going to be, so what exactly does that mean? So we'll, we'll turn to Rashi, Va'era, source 2, Ela Avot, Bikel Shakai, Hiftafti Haftachot, that God says, I've made promises, and in those promises, it's always been through this name, 
or title or made, making known of this aspect of Kel Shakai. So here's where Rashi lets on that it's not exactly what you think it means. It's not that I haven't appeared that way. Lo hodati in ktivkan, ella lo nodati. Lo nikarti lahem bemidat amitichali. They were not, now it's not cognitive right now, it's experiential. Lo nikarti lahem bemidat amitichali, shale nikrashmi hashem, neeman la amet dvarai, shre hiftachti, the lo kiamti. Now that's, that's, Right, you're looking and you say, "How did I never notice this Rashi before?" Because this is a phenomenal comment of Rashi. What he's saying is, "I've made promises, but those promises have not come to fruition as of yet." So, therefore, the experience of the avot was that these promises were all for some time in the future, and they did not experience them real time. So, that just as a as a small snippet of. Again, a much larger issue which is taking place over here. Let's make a couple of observations. One is the book of Bereshit is a book where, for the most part, the miracles that take place seem to be within the realm of the natural world, where the main issue is much more one of timing than it is of the actual thing that takes place. Let me restate that. You will, if you put all the avot together and you can throw in the shvatim also, none of them are able to do anything as impressive as Moshe does in, in, in one afternoon in front of the snare. Okay, so it's, it, it's almost like a non-discussion. We didn't even get up to the ten plagues. We didn't get up to the, to the splitting of the sea and, and, and so on. Is that Bereshit is the introduction of nature, which, by the way, is very connected to the name Elohim, that Bereshit bar Elohim, there is this Elohim aspect having to do with nature, and then once God puts nature, you know, pushes the button, and nature flows. So yes, there will be some times where nature is going to be imposed upon, but for example, when a flood comes, okay, it rains, and it rains some more, and it rains some more. I mean, take a look at California right now, kind of disappearing through a, you know, you may not, you may not, you may not want to leave Vegas. Sooner rather than later, it may become beachfront property. I mean, you, you, all, all you need, all you need, is the big one, and that's it. <laughs> and next thing you know, you got a couple more islands in the Pacific, and you have uh, beachfront property in uh, in Vegas. So, but but getting the point is, okay, but those are natural phenomena. So, to what extent somebody who was going through the flood again? I'm saying, aside from the timing issue of Noah happening to build uh, an ark at that particular point, well, you have something even even. What takes place in stone? It sounds like that God allowed a, an earthquake, or a, I don't know if there's any volcanoes in the area. That would be very convenient, but but it, it doesn't. Again, other than the timing, but when it comes to the, the things that again, a stick turning into a serpent or some kind of rep, reptile, and the reptile turning back into a stick, you don't have those things taking place in pshat in Bereshit. Okay. You know, you start moving to other levels other than shot. You may find me all kinds of things, but you don't find them shot. Which means, in in Shemot, as opposed to a creation, and actually it's with all of the plagues that are coming. Instead of uh, construction, we're having a deconstruction. Instead of creation, we're having some kind of a, a of a recreation, even if you will. But but it's going through this challenge in terms of nature. Nature yields 
in Sefer Shemot. Nature doesn't win in Sefer Shemot. Nature is yielding. And that's part of what's interesting over here of the God who is eternal, who creates nature and creates all of these aspects which are revealed in Bereshit. In Shemot, it's God is saying, okay, now I'm showing you something having to do with my real power as opposed to this self-constraint which I've utilized through much of Bereshit where I essentially have been hiding behind the curtain and you did not realize that there was some kind of wizard that was actually in charge and doing everything which is over here. And, 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 in, and in Shemot, there is going to be a stronger and stronger amount of revelation, of course, until we get to the revelation itself. And it's for that matter that you realize now that the revelation, of course, is part of the Shemot story, because Shemot is about revelation. So, there, so therefore, as much as Bereshit is about God being hidden, and yes, cognitively, Avraham discovers God by looking at nature and asking more of the question, well, who did this and where did this come from? But it's not a question that God enters into nature and say, look, I control all of this, and that's something which Avraham is not the beneficiary of. So again, I'm going to point out again, in the, in the broadest strokes, whereby these books, Bresh and Shemot, are very, very different, and one really is a, is a book of concealment, where the other is really a book of revelation. One is a book of nature, and the other book is a book of the supernatural. So therefore, what we're over here, when we're reading where God is saying, listen... <laughs> You knew a certain aspect of me, but there are other things that were never revealed. So that should not become the biggest surprise, because as I said, even if I'm not being precise in everything that I'm saying right now, in terms of these particular names and these particular verses, although we could you know, squeeze it in a little bit if we chose, but you realize that this is within the realm of the way that we should really be understanding what over here is taking place, which means for the Avod, it's all future-oriented. You know, one of the beautiful Midrashim, which Rashi cites, which I suspect we, uh, we, we greatly misunderstand, when we're told that when the angels come, Avraham serves them Ugot. And Rashi points out, Ugot Matzot, because later on Matzot will be called Ugot. And why? Because it's Pesach. So therefore, the way I think that a lot will take that away, or the way that maybe that we have it taught to our children, in uh, starting with nursery school, they're the ones who do the first and initial damage, and then all the way through to the continuing damage which takes place, is, of course he was eating, it was, it was Pesach. So therefore, what you've turned Avram in is Avram is robotic, and therefore it's Pesach. He looks on the calendar, it's Pesach. Any of you actually good Jews know how many days right now till Pesach? Or you don't know? Okay, good, good. I guess the ones who know how many days are are, are, are home right now and dealing with it. <laughs> when I said by timing is that a flood comes when God says a flood is going to come. So there's nothing supernatural about it other than the the. Pre- the, the, yeah, the, it's like timing is the most important thing, let's say, in terms of telling a joke. The most important thing is timing. You have to say the joke right before they laugh, right? Other, other, uh, uh, otherwise, it doesn't work, right? If people start laughing already and then you say something, that doesn't mean that it was funny. That means that you just took advantage of the, of the radiant laughter that was, that was there. Okay. Rashi really did point out this issue. Rashi really was saying that the Avod experience... Okay, I started talking about Avraham, and then you, you, you took me far, Stu, I don't know where you took me, but, 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 but um, Av, Av, Avraham, Avraham eats matzah. So the way that we've been told not to think 
is because it's Pesach. He looks on the calendar, it's Pesach, so he eats matzah. So what, what do you then do with this? Avram's a good Jew. It's Pesach. Avram keeps all the mitzvot. Look at this. He keeps Pesach as well. So stop a second. Stop a second. Lord also source matzah because he grew up. In, no, but there, there, there's a point to all this. First of all, as far as we understand, the date really is Pesach. But why is it Pesach? And now if you look a little more carefully at Rashi, you would understand this point as well, is because, is because the angels or the people come and they say to Sarah that next year at this time, you're going to have a child. So next year at this time should be the same calendar date. When you look back by the Brit Bainab Tarim, God says to Avram, your descendants will be enslaved 400 years. When do we start counting? From Ledat Yitzchak. 400 years, precision counting. So 400 years from Ledat Yitzchak is when they get out. So therefore, when is Yitzchak born? Yitzchak is born on Pesach. What is one year before, 401 years? It's Pesach. So therefore, the calendar date, as far as Chazal is concerned. Now, what was Avram told by the Brit Bain Abtarim? He's told that your descendants will be enslaved in land which isn't theirs, and so on and so forth. And then they're going to take, go out and, and, and they'll be liberated. So when, uh, when the Midrash tells us that Avram is eating matzah, he's already connected to the liberation, which means Avram doesn't see, doesn't, sorry, Avram doesn't experience the future in reality, and which is really this point. It was in Haftacha, but that beautiful teaching now is telling us, but Avram felt it anyway. Avram was able to eat the matzah anyway. Avram felt anyway that the Jews are going to leave so quickly, it's 401 years in the future. They're going to leave so quickly, they're not going to have time for the bread to rise, and Avram is already celebrating that. But again, God says, but you're celebrating it because you have great faith and you believe in the future, as opposed to the people who actually leave, and they experience it because it actually happened to them. And that's very, very different from the person who's dreaming that their children will one day have a better life versus the person who actually has the better life. So there is just huge difference between the two. And what Rashi is telling us over here is that for Avraham, this is all, this is the stuff of faith. And this really is an indication of Avraham's great faith that he's celebrating Pesach, that he does believe that every word that God said to him, and this is going to happen, versus the people who actually experience it. So what God is telling Moshe over here is, again, just read the, again, I prefer the words of Rashi here to the words of the Torah, where he says that, it's not they never heard the name, but they never experienced this. They didn't experience the reality of God, who's all controlling and so on. And so on. And so on. The experience of the Avot was promises that just didn't come to fruition, didn't come true. It was just promise. But, but, and therefore, hopefully, belief, but it was just a promise. But over here, what, what God is saying to Moshe, but na- now it's going to happen. So what we're really being introduced to right now is that from what we understand, again, between the Chomish and between Rashi, what we understand now is that there's going to be a dramatic change taking place now. Again, this is part of Sefer Shemot, part of the miraculous book, part of nature being suspended, part of God showing a revelation, and maybe then our expectations will be, so now's the time of fulfillment. 
which means that's promise and now is fulfillment. So if you want, this should be, the title should be fulfillment. Now, there's only one problem with that, and that's for those of us who have uh, lived far after all this took place, is that did the story really end the way that we're thinking it's going to end at this point? Because fulfillment, as far as I'm concerned, should be ultimate fulfillment. It should be then we march out of Egypt, and that is what we would describe as the Messianic Age. We march straight to the land of Israel the same way that we imagine Mashiach comes, and then, I mean, I don't know why people are waiting to come to Israel, but I guess they think they'll get cheaper flights then. I don't know if that's the case at all. I know all the good apartments will already have been taken by then, and who who knows where they're going to end up having to live, right? Yeah, Mashiach comes. Where are you living? Abu Ghosh. Okay, it's a nice place. It's uh, yeah, yeah, it's not so far, not so far. It's got a nice hummus there. It's not kosher, but it's, it's good. Yeah, so, uh, so so as I'm saying is that something wrong happens, right? Something wrong happens. I was that on the way to the forum. What is it? Something wrong happens on... Something funny. Something wrong happens on the way to redemption, which means the redemption is only a temporary redemption until the next thing goes wrong, and things continually go wrong, and that's part of what we've seen. The Rashbam, who is an underrated Zionist, there are a number of, of really good Zionist comedy. We always give the Ramban credit for the Zionist uh, propaganda that we so appreciate. The, Ra- the grandson of Rashi, yes, as I always say, he learned Chumash with Rashi. And then argued, with, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then argues with him. Vishmi Hashem, kach tzarich lefaresh. Ani nireiti lahem bekel shakai, veikar shmi Hashem hu. The main manifestation of the essence of God, whatever that means, and that's why all of this is so dangerous. Vizel kaful hashon lo nodati lahem lo nitgaleti lahem biikar Hashem ela bekel shakai. And I'm going to say it again. It's not so far from what Rashi was saying. It was more of a limited type of revelation. What they had, they did not have this full type of revelation. Avalelecha giliti ikar shmi ehiyeh. By the way, he took us back to ehiyeh. He goes, but, but you have seen a much more theologically complete understanding of what God is. And in your days, I'm going to fulfill my promise. And what is that? By the way, it's so, it's so interesting. Because you could have, would have said, to take me out of Egypt. And he's focusing on something else. I have to I have to go back for a second on what it is that he's focusing on. What, what takes place immediately after this, in the next couple of sukim, if you go back to source number one, after our introduction of Divin Kel Hashem, then God makes a number of great declarations. Now we are going to make reference to this, or the Gemara will, when it tells us about our four cups of Geula, right? Now we all know that there's a secret, and the secret is is that maybe there should be five cups. Of Geula. So let, let, let's read carefully, and then you'll understand what the Rashbam, because the Rashbam is only focusing on the fifth. He's not even looking at the first four. First four are to facilitate the fifth. The fifth is the main point. So he, let, let's take a look. I am going to fulfill my covenant that he made back with the Avot. Now you realize now why he's saying Eretz Canaan. That's, that's the whole point over here. There just happens to be a particular deal that was made before we get the land of Israel. There's going to be this slavery and this liberation. But the main point is land of Israel, so don't lose sight of that. This place that they lived, and I'll add the word Migurehim, Garu, it's a, it's a strangeness. 
It's not that they live there as as, as residents. Right, and I heard their cries, and I will remember my covenant. Which again, with Avraham and with Yitzchak and with Yaakov, it's a covenant. Okay, this is what's going to happen, but it didn't happen. That's the whole point of this. That's what Rashi's saying. Yeah, I made a promise, but you know, sometimes if you sign a contract, at some point, you know, the, hopefully <laughs> the contract comes true. Lachain and therefore tell them, and now this is just the fulfillment of the Brit Ben Abtarim. I'm God, Vodseti, I'm going to take them out from the Sivlot Mitzrayim, from their suffering. Vitsalti, I'm going to save them, Me'avodotam, from their enslavement. Vagaalti, I'm going to liberate them, with an outstretched hand, Vishvatim Gedolim, and with great judgments. Vilakachti, that's the fourth one, Etchem, Lila'am, they will become for me a people. Vitilem, Lilokim, and I will be for them God. Vyadatem, and that's the result, De'a, that's very important, by the way. And then you'll know, how will you know, not based upon belief, not based upon the future, then you're going to know because you experienced it. V'yadatem ki eni Hashem alkechem hamotzi etchem mitachet zevlot mitzrayim. Then you get to this arguable fifth language. V'heveti etchem el ha'aretz asher nasati et yadil ateto talavnitukli Yaakov v'natati yotal lachem morishani Hashem. And then I'm going to give the land which I promised to Avram and Yaakov, and you, by virtue of being their descendants, will be able to live there. <clears throat> as an inheritance, which means I promise it to them, not to you. By the way, you may not be deserving. I hope you read that between the lines here. You may not be deserving, but I have a contract with them. You are to go through a certain experience. You've gone through that experience. Whether they're deserving of it not is another question. And of course, the problem is the next verse. This was what we talked about last year. And Moshe told them all, and they, and they, they just... We're in no mood to listen to all of this. And, uh, it, and you realize how anticlimactic this is and, and, and how tragic it is, is that this, this unbelievable declaration, okay, it's all coming true now, this is all happening, and Avraham, hundreds of years ago, was able to feel it and to experience it and to believe in it, and the people that it's about to happen to are saying, just stop bothering us already. You know, ever since you've gotten here, things have gotten worse and things are not getting better, and what are you talking about? And there are all kinds of complaints. And it's just, I mean, the whole thing, the, the reality is this whole section really is theologically breathtaking, both in terms of God coming forth and saying, well, this is what's happening, and explaining some of the background that where, where are we ever privileged to understand that kind of inside information from God? And on the other hand, the people, you know, after Moshe explains all of this, maybe he should have given them the four cups of wine also, maybe, maybe that even the fifth cup of wine, and maybe that would have helped them a little bit, but they, uh, they just did not seem to be able to deal with it. And I'll say it again. Part of what was pointed out along the way was this problem, and I'm going to call the problem the problem of Eheyeh. I, I think that's the case. And again, I don't want to go through all the things I said last year. Last year we saw this terrible um, Targum Yonatan that pointed out Avodah Kasha was Avodah Zarah. Is that they just they, they lost they lost belief, which means they had belief the first time Moshe comes and and Moshe says we're going to do this and this and this and they believe it and then it doesn't happen. So okay, we've been there. You know, you got our hopes up. This hasn't happened. And but I just wanted to look quickly at that. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I, maybe it didn't make the cut. That's fine. We're allowed to not make the cut. When uh, yeah, no, look, look at Rashi in source fifteen. 
Eheyeh asher eheyeh. I hope you remember that. When, Mo, when, God, when Moshe says to God, okay, so who should I tell them is calling, right? right? What should the message be? And what should, what's your name? Which now, I hope you realize now why Moshe then asking, you know, what should I say your name is, is connected to God now giving a little bit more information at this point. So then God says, Ayyeh Sher By the way, in the Shulchan Aruch and Yeridea, where it talks about the holy names of God, it says there are seven names that can't be erased, and it says, V'yesh Omrim, and some say, Ehyeh. And I'm even aware of some people who won't pronounce Ehyeh, right? Ehkeh, they'll say, because they say, oh, maybe this is one of the names of God as well. But as I said, it's a Yeshom in the Shulchan Aruch. So that means Yeshomrim. Don't erase it. But uh, if you want to be Machmer. Eyeh Sher Eyeh. Imam Bitsara Zo. Asher Eyeh Imam Bishibud Shar Malchiot. I'm going to be with them through this liberation and I'll be with, it, with them through the future enslavements that will take place. Amulafanav, Ribonu Shalalam. Mani Maskirlam Tsara Cheret. You want me to stay? Yeah, you know, I'll be with you now, and the next time things get messed up, I'll be with you as well. And therefore, go and tell them, eh, yeah, sent you. And not, eh, yeah, sure, yeah, just, eh, yeah. But, but eh, 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 it is so interesting that at the, at the burning bush, Moshe is already told that, you know, this is not, the end of the story would not. This is the, there's this is just the beginning of the story, and that's part of the problem throughout Jewish history. Is you know, one of the reasons that we should all stay away from messianic. One of the reasons we should all stay away from messianic predictions is that certain is that virtually everyone who's made one so far and the time has been wrong. So 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 when you deal you deal you're dealing with statistically zero four you know what okay unless somebody has had the wherewithal to predict it far off into the future that hasn't happened yet okay but but it, it's just not a statistically very wise thing to do and you know unfortunately it's the kind of thing take the bet against that every single time but. Part of the problem is the dynamic of Jewish history, which I don't want to get into so far, but I do want to point in three different directions right now. First is something which for some reason, and and really when you think about it quite mysteriously, is related to this story of the Exodus, but not in the direct way or not in a way that we perhaps would have Anticipated. In source number four, now going all the way back, in source number four, we get to the Aseret Dibrot for the second time, and we're told instead of Zachorat Yom Shabbat Lekadcho, we're told Shemorat Yom Shabbat Lekadcho, Kasher Tzivcha Shem It goes through then the basic statement about what Shabbat is, work for six days, and, and so on, rest on the seventh. And then while in Shemot, it says, and remember, because God created the world in six days, rested on the seventh, and therefore Shabbat is a testimony to creation of the world, which I think makes a lot of sense. I think if you would have asked anybody, so what is Shabbat about? God created for six days and rested on the seventh. For some reason, in Sefer Dvarim, we have a counterintuitive explanation of Shabbat, and instead it says, V'zacharta, and remember, Ki that you were enslaved in the land of Egypt. God took you out, and therefore you were commanded to keep the Shabbat. And you look at it and you say, what are you talking about? And therefore you were commanded to eat matzah. And therefore you were commanded you know, to get rid of chametz. And therefore you were commanded to have the Korban Pesach. Therefore we commanded, I mean, why are you saying that because God took us out of Egypt, we were commanded to keep Shabbat? No, we, we, Shabbat is about creation. Now, it, I, I could, you know, 
you know, take out my Talmudic thumb and say that Shabbat, the seventh day, is holy because God created the six days, seventh day. We're obligated to keep Shabbat because God took us there. Meaning, why us? Why not the rest of humanity? God created everybody. Maybe everybody should be. No, by virtue of God taking us out of Egypt, God made an acquisition, and therefore the acquisition is the people of Israel, and therefore it creates this obligation. But by the way, that, that's a little superficial, because a larger reading of the book of Dvarim will actually bring to that conclusion regarding all the mitzvot. Right? Regarding all the mitzvot, Moshe actually says the same thing. Right? When your kid asks you, why do we keep the Torah of mitzvot, right? why do we keep all of the laws? The answer is, avodim mayinu l'parol mitzrayim. Which is the answer for all mitzvot is because God took us out. Okay, so why is the emphasis on Shabbat over here? So in order to get to a partial answer, because again, I could have said, and I'm going to say right now, perhaps somewhat superficially or perhaps completely truthfully, that we were slaves and we experienced working seven days a week. So perhaps only the person who experiences working seven days a week will will appreciate that they only have to work six, and the seventh day is something which is considered to be a divine day of rest. And maybe that's what this is trying to tell us. And, and, And as I said, that's one level of understanding this, which I think is absolutely true, but nonetheless, I think that there may be a deeper level. To understand the deeper level, I'm going to look in a place which is not where you would necessarily have thought that I would go to look, but it's, in retrospect, the most obvious place. When you want to understand the essence of any particular day, one of the ways of doing it is to look at what Chazal told us is what they would say in the Beit HaMikdash on that particular day, because that has to do with the essence of, of the day. So therefore, we have, in source number six, the psalm for the day, right? the Shir Shalyom, this is what the Levium would sing. This is really the essence of Shabbat. And there's, and there's one problem with this, and I'll, I'll read some of the words with you if you want. Hopefully you'll, they sound remotely familiar. Right? Okay, this is, yes, it does say, but there's, no, but there's no reference to Shabbat about it. Um, you could say, maybe, kvetch, if you wanted to, and say, uh, oh, look at the creation. That's not about Shabbat, then. That should be on Sunday morning. Look at the wonderful creation. What does this have to do with Shabbat? And the answer is, ostensibly, absolutely nothing. Now, I told you, you always can guess what I'm going to say by look at what I bolded. And over here, there is this Ishbar Lo Yeda. There are people who are ignorant, who don't understand, seal and fools, Lo they don't understand. And, and, and what is it that troubles them? Bifroach Rishaim Kamo Esev, when wicked people sprout about like, uh, like grass, which is weeds that are out of control. So it talks about getting rid of the wicked, and then towards the end we have, Tzadik, Tzadik, Katamar Yifrach, 
Ke'eriz v'vanon yiskeh. Shutulim b'veit Hashem. B'chutzot elokeinu yafrichu. Let the righteous, let them spread all about. Od yinuvun b'seivad yishenin v'anin yiyu. Lagid ki yashar Hashem tzuri v'lo'av tabo. And therefore, this is all, almost like a, uh, like a tziduk hadin, right? The, right? God is, God is good and God is great and God is fair. There is no iniquity that, that God does things which are right. So all of this is really interesting because it really is about God's judgment. It's about, as, as, you, as you threw out, it's about what we would call sometimes tzaddik viralo. It is about why are the wicked so successful? Why are the righteous perhaps not? Which, which you now realize is kind of question, right? This is the kind of question which is probably echoed throughout history. You know, why is it that the Jews have suffered and why is it that those who have tormented us, who actually have tried to prove their superiority by tormenting us, the more they torment us, the more that they're convinced that they are correct. And this, this very painful issue about the righteous suffering is the essence of the Mizmar Shir Lioma Shabbat. And then we have to ask ourselves, so, yeah, so what does this have to do with anything? Although perhaps when we go back to Egypt, we go back to Egypt because again I want to I want to focus that for a second. Part of the problem is that the Egyptians, who are wicked, terrible individuals, they're the ones who are in charge, and and the Jews know how good or how bad. That's a very fair question, but they're the ones who are tormented. And over here is just this lack of justice in the world. And part of the issue that we already raised is that God says, yes, I've made promises, but at some point those promises will come to fruition because this idea of the righteous being rewarded or the wicked being punished is one which has not necessarily been the way that the world has worked out until this particular point. Nature, you know, kind of runs its way, and God has not gotten all that involved. Now God is going to get involved, so if now God's getting involved, so then maybe the wicked will be punished, and maybe now the righteous will will be liberated, which means there, there is a, a background to all of this. Rashi on Tehillim, in source number 7, says, Mizma shir shalavim liyom ha-shabbat sha'umrim oto b'shabbatot v'hu midaber b'inyan ha'olam haba shakulo shabbat. This is about the future. This is about that. Remember, this is about that time when God makes promises, and those promises come true, which is really interesting. At least I keep saying this. This is really interesting because what we were led to believe, or perhaps we thought, is going to take place over here as we leave Egypt. Now the promises are taking place, but we still have a problem with that. What's the problem? Yeah, Asher, yeah. You know, I'll be with you. The, I'll be. I'll, I'll be with you the next time as well. Which means Shabbat over here in this essence of Shabbat or this concept of Shabbat, what it's telling us is that there, go- there is going to be a time where there will be complete and full and absolute justice, and then the wicked will not be about, and then the righteous will. So right, right now, fools who are stuck in the, in the present, and they look at the way that things work now, that's not the true understanding. We need to understand that there is a Yom Shekulu Shabbat that is the Messianic age. So it's really fascinating that it's really fascinating because now I want to point out when we say that Shabbat is Zech Liyetziah Mitzrayim, maybe it's on a different level than we would have thought. Maybe it's on this level of this part of Shabbat which points towards the future is what talks about the fulfillment of what didn't take place as of yet in terms of uh, leaving Egypt. Yom Shikul Shabbat. Right. It's... um.
There's also an interesting midrash that I skipped. Maybe I should have said it before, but it, it actually makes another connection to Shabbat, and that's in source number five. It uh, it actually tells us that when Moshe sees the suffering of his brothers, he goes over to Paro and says, "You're misworking your your slaves. That if you want them to be more efficient, you need to uh, you need to know how to how to run them a little bit better. And constant work will cause them to break down, and and uh, it's not efficient. Rather, if you're really concerned with them, you'll give them one day a week off." And therefore, this is young Moshe as the prince in Egypt, according to this Midrash, institutes in Egypt already Shabbat, that they had Shabbat, in, which, which is really a remarkable teaching. There are other parts of this. I could have said, I could have said, as, as I said, I said this out of sequence, I could have said, oh, what does Shabbat have to do with Egypt? They already started to keep Shabbat in Egypt, but I strongly suspect that I, that I would not have convinced all of you with this on an absolute level. If you want to look at source number five, it says, Vayar b'sevlotam rasha in lemenucha, halach mar laparo, mi sheyesh lo eved imenu noach, nach yom echad b'shavua, hu met. Ve'elu avdecha, im ena tamaniach lem yom echad b'shavua, he metim. Right? Your, your servants, your slaves are going to die. Amr lo, leich v'aselam k'mo shetomer, go, give them a day off. Halach Moshe v'tikein lemet yom ha-shabbat lenuach. And Moshe gave them Saturdays off, that they can rest on uh on Saturdays, so it's uh, it, it's it's interesting this midrash. But as I said again, I just suspect that there's something which is a little deeper. Let me go to now another level that I think also points towards the future, and this is going to be in a very strange place. It's Yushalmi in source number eight. Yushalmi is talking in Masechet Megillah. Part of the introduction to this Yushalmi is that people were quite upset. Rabbinic, uh, rabbinic, prophetic leaders were quite upset at the suggestion that we create a new holiday, that Purim become a holiday. Who gave you the right to make a holiday? God gave us holidays. Well, you can't go making up your holidays over there. So it says here, Rabbi Shmuel ben Achman b'shem Rabbi Yonatan, Shmonim v'chamisha zekenim u'mehem shloshim v'kama neviyim. Hayu mitzta'arim al davar azeh. They said, Amruktiv, these are your commandments. These are the ones that were commanded. No more than that. No prophet can come and go against the Nuvah of Moshe Rabbeinu. You can't start adding any kind of laws. And Mordechai and Esther, they want to make up a new holiday. What right do they have to... So I don't know how many days it is till... Pesach, but take away 30, and that's how many days it is till, uh, till Purim. The, they want to make up a new holiday. And then they found some kind of a reference. <clears throat> now, this is a reference to the war against Amalek. The war against Amalek, you can argue, actually, is, is a part of the... It's maybe the end of the Pesach story. Again, I know we don't, don't think of it this way. When we leave Egypt, it's really the last thing that happens till, before we get to Harsinai. And even Harsinai may be part of the Pesach story. But right, right there, before we get to Sinai, we have this little, little interlude, and little dance that we have with Amalek in the desert. And it says, Tuv zot zikaron basefer, that this should be written as a memory 
זאת תורה, כמה דתימה וזאת התורה ששם משה ובני ישראל, זיכרון אלו נביאים. וכתב ספר זיכרון לפניו לירא השם, בספר אלו הכתובים, ומאמר אסתה קיים את דברי הפורים האלה, ונכתב בספר. So this was a little complex way of trying to point out that there was a reference in the book of Esther, which maybe connects back to this זיכרון בספר, and therefore we do have a right of adding um, new holidays and even new things that which will become a part of scripture. I, I don't want to read the whole thing. I'm going to skip a little bit. Let's go to three lines. You know what? We'll read. Rav Rabbi Hanina, Rabbi Yonatan, Ubar Kapara, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, Amru HaMegillah Azot, Nemer L'Moshe Misenai. Ela she'en muktam umuchabri Torah. which has to be the greatest in Muqtam al-Mukhabar Torah that ever existed, is that, yeah, yeah, God already, Moshe already learned about Megillah Esther. I mean, that's, that's already part of the story. And, and by the way, if I then had to say, what are you talking about? It's, eh, yeah, asher, eh, yeah. I'm going to be with you in the next exile. So where's the next exile? This is it. Which means, what did I just, it's totally mathematical what I just now did. We already told, eh, yeah, sure, yeah, I'm going to be with you by the next time, and here's the next time. So therefore, of course, by the way, it's not what it says. I'm just telling you it's what it means, is that, of course, Moshe already knows about this because God told him it's going to happen, which actually then, you know, this whole thing, well, God is not in the book of Esther, and God is not there, and it's not, yeah, but God was there with us. Right? God didn't, but, No revelation. Because the revelation is part of the book of Shemot. There's absolutely no revelation. But God is with us. Now that itself is really interesting of God being with us even though we don't feel it. So I'm going to say, just make a mental note of that. Because over here it's saying, no, but this is part of the Torah. That's the argument. It is part of the Torah. In Muktam Mumuchar, and I'll say it again, it was already understood because, yeah, sure, yeah. There is that next story. So, Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan, he goes that the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim Nevi'im, we're going to get rid of all of those. The, the day will come, we're not going to need that. But the five books of Moshe, they last forever. My time, kol gadol v'lo yosaf. Rav Shum ben Lakish, Amar, af megilat Esther, v'halachot, the book of Esther, and the laws of Esther, right, including getting drunk, Right? These stay. That these laws remain forever. Purim is eternal. So now you have to ask yourself, of all the things that we have, you know, more, more than all of, say, for Yoshua, Shoftim, and Sashmuel, Aleph, and Ben, all of, the, all of this story of Purim is the eternal story. So obviously what you have to ask yourself is, so what makes this e- eternal? By the way, my random Yerushalmi that you probably never heard of before, if you look in source number nine, the Rambam actually channels this Yerushalmi and writes, Kol The Rambam actually rules like this Yerushalmi, which, as I said, the, the Yerushalmi was quite random until you realize, oh, that's not as random as I thought. The Rambam thought this was necessary to include and to conclude his laws of, uh, almost, laws of Purim. Purim. 
that even though all kinds of things and episodes that are happening will be forgotten at some point, not this one. This one remains forever. And I'm going to say it again. Of course, we have to ask ourselves, you know, how is this possible? So if you look at source number 10, this is the, the point in the Shulchan Aruch that some of us don't remember also that it actually says it. And we can have a whole discussion on this, but not now. Now, now we have very specific things we want to tease out of this. Chayev inish levsume bepurya adeloyada ben or haman levarch mordechai. Straightforward, a person is obligated to drink on Purim to the point that they don't know. The word know is very important, yada. Till they don't know the difference between that haman should be cursed and mordechai should be blessed. The Vilna Gon in source 11 writes, and this is his comment to that line, Sham. What this means is, You need to drink on Purim while you're contemplating a philosophical question, by the way, it's just changed everything completely, the way I just now phrased it, while you're contemplating a philosophical question, what is really the great conclusion of the Purim story? Is it that Haman got what he deserved, that evil gets punished at some point, think about the Shir Shalyom for Shabbat, or is it that Mordechai got rewarded? Is it the reward of the righteous, or is it the punishment of the wicked? What ultimately shows God's hand in history? And, and you can tell me it's both, but he says, that's what you think about in Purim. That's what the drinking is about. He then throws in a, 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 an extra... Little hint over here. The, the gross commentary in Shulchan Aruch is assuming you know all of Shas well, which sometimes is not the case. And he writes, right, The word de'a, right? So you have no idea what he's talking about over here, which is why I had to point at source number 12, which is what he's talking about. That knowledge is great because it's mentioned between two different letters or words. Now notice that. The dayah is in the middle. Kel is midat hadin and Hashem is midat harachamim. So there's knowledge in between compassion, what well, well, if you want, punishment and compassion. So now you, what the Gura is referring to, so which, which one is it? Are you going to focus on the punishment of the wicked, or are you going to focus on the reward of the righteous? By the way, note where that's from. That's from the Az Yashir. That from the Az Yashir, they also see this idea of the Mikdash being between two names of God. By the way, both of them names of compassion. No, he, he was referring to this regarding to this, this idea of vengeance. So there you have Kel with Midan Adin, Nikamot Hashem, you have Rachamim. Kel Nikamot Hofia, Amr Leila Milta Hachinami Kidul, Amr Ulish Tehofiot Alolama, Echelamidat Tova, the Echelamidat Paranut. One is for this aspect of God who's saving. And other is bringing about punishment. Going back to this understanding, this knowledge, So 
So he, he, what the Grod did, and again, you, you just realize how fascinating it is what he, what he did with this. He took this idea that you need, and the Yada is connected to these different names of God, and he's saying is that God appears in the Purim story, but there's two dis- different aspects over here, which you could tell me are two aspects of the same coin, and one aspect is this idea of uh, wicked being punished and Haman getting what he deserves, which is something which I think is will, brings us satisfaction and celebration, at least most of us. On the other hand, there are those who would prefer to focus on, oh, look, righteousness, Mordechai, the one who didn't bow down, the one who wasn't involved in the sin, and so on, that he gets rewarded. But you do have to realize when Chazal, the Rishalmi, and the Rambam are telling us, this is part of the future world. Why? Because this is part of the future world. This is what ultimately happens at the end of history when God appears, and God appears in this... And, and I, I'm gonna, I want to use the word duality, but I don't. And God appears and does two simultaneously, simultaneous things where the wicked finally get what they say, and that becomes manifest, and then the righteous finally get rewarded, which means maybe the way that we would have or should have thought the Pesach story is going to end up, no, but that's really part of the Purim story. But the Purim story and the Pesach story, what's the connection to And I'll say it again. Well, yeah, Shara, yeah, I'm going to be with you this time. I'm going to be with you next time as well. But let me point out, one more thing over here. The Gemara in Source 13 debates that when there are two Adars, right, so is the first, when there's two Adars, when should Purim be celebrated? Which means essentially is the first Adar, and one of the Rishonim, the Rush, I believe, says, it's really Shvatbet. There's nothing about it which makes it, in, it's not Adar, it's Shvatbet. And others say, no, Adar, and it's a very complex because there's all kinds of different manifestations. But in the Gemara here, of Shun bin Gamliel says, Bekol Shana Vishana. Ma Bekol Shana Vishana, Adar HaSamach Nisan. Every year, Adar is next to Nisan. Afkan, even when there's two Adars, Adar HaSamach Nisan. Which Adar is the real Adar? The one which is close to Nisan. Amr Rabbi Tovi, Taimad Rabbi Shun bin Gamliel, Mismach Gula Adif. That you need to connect the Purim story and the Pesach story. Rashi writes, Gula Lagula, Purim Pesach. Why would you have to connect them? Because now you realize is that they are more connected than we would have thought about before. Is that and, and in a certain sense, they're really the same story, that the Pesach story is where the wicked will be punished and the righteous will be redeemed. In the Purim story, the wicked will be punished and the righteous will be deemed. And both of them have this aspect of, especially with Purim, by the way, of pointing towards the future. L- let me make another statement. To a very great extent, Purim is about, sorry, for, to a very great extent, Pesach is about the past. We have to look and see as if we were slaves in Egypt. To a great extent, Shavuot is about the present. Every day should see, you should see as if the Torah was given on that day. And to a great extent, Shavuot is about the future. Especially when it comes to the Korbanot and so on and the nations of the world. It's very much a future at the end of the year, at the end of history. And there are various aspects of Shavuot which point in that in that direction, yeah, yeah. So I'm saying, so sorry, Sukkot. So therefore, I Sukkot. So therefore, I can look at the three holidays as one past, one present, and one and one off in the future. Okay, so keep that in mind for a moment. We're going to skip sixteen. Seventeen is getting us closer to the end of the Pesach story. And here we are moments before the splitting of the sea, 
Egypt is quick upon us. This is Perik Yudalad, Pasuk Yutet. It's a very special Pasuk. I'll tell you why in a second. But Yisa Malach Elokim. So Malach Elokim will be pointed out as something which is interesting. Elokim. Malach Elokim. Haholech Lefnei Machene Yisrael Beilech Macharehem. It was leading in front, but then it goes in back. V'yisa amud ha'anan v'pneim v'yamod acharehim. So what in the world this is trying to tell us is a little bit challenging. I do want to tell you, though, that this verse in Kabbalistic sources, including Rashi, by the way, is phenomenally important. And give me a couple seconds and we'll come back to the Rashi. V'yelech me'achareim in source 18, Rashi on the Pasuk tells us, L'havdil b'in machene Mitzrayim u'bein machene Yisrael. U'lekabel chitzim, in order to absorb all of the bows and arrows and so on. B'kol makom hu'omim malach Hashem. Normally it says, the angel of Hashem, Yudke vavke, v'kan malach elokim. E'en elokim makom elodayan. V'lamit sh'yisrael nitunim badin v'oto sha'a im l'inatzel im l'abed im Mitzrayim. Which means, will God have compassion on the Jews? Which means, if midat adin is in the air, midat adin should be for everybody. And if that's the case, then no one should survive. Because maybe we weren't that deserving. Bereshit Rabbah, which Rashi is getting this from, V'yisamalach Elokim, O'lech l'fnei machanei Yisrael, V'yilech machareim, Matah v'lomar, V'yisamud anan, V'pnei v'mud machareim. Ela oto midat adin, Sh'ayta mitucha keneged Yisrael, But the midat adin, which was attacking Israel, Havcha Kadosh Baruch Hu, Umotcha keneged amitzrim. God flipped it around and pointed it only at them. So God took the Midat Adin, the Malach Elokim, and he points it at them. And, and Am Yisrael is not being treated with Midat Adin. Now, slow down a second, and I hope some of all of this will make a little bit more sense. In the Mishnah in Sukkah, when we're talking about the celebration of Sukkot, is you... you go around the Mizbeach and you say, you know, please, God, bring about salvation, save us. Now, hopefully some of you recognize that. These are, these are among the words that we say that we have no idea what we're saying. So, so I want to, if nothing else, if nothing else, if you didn't get anything else out of today, we're now going to look and understand what those words mean. Anivahu. Rashi in Source 21 explaining Anivahu, writes, Begematria Ana Hashem. Which is good, but some of you are saying, so just write Ana Hashem. <laughs> so, like, why are you doing that? Va'od, and then Rashi adds, it is one of the mystical names of God, Mishivim Ushtayim Shemotein. Now, if you want to understand what the name of 71 letters is, I actually didn't give this to you because we didn't want to make too much trouble. But I, ha- I have over here the chart of the 71 name of God. What it is, is that Pasuk that I pointed out, Pasuk Yutet, right before the splitting of the sea, has exactly 71 letters. As does the following one, Pasuk Kaf, and as does the following in Pasuk Kaf Aleph. What Rashi continues to tell us over here, again, he reveals this secret. He goes... It's those three verses, one another. Each one of those three verses of 72 letters. And that's how the name, the Shem of Farash, emerges. So you line up these three verses. The middle verse you make inverse. 
you put it backwards, and then you make th- triplets from the first, last, first, second, second to last, second. And you do this 72 times, and then you will have this chart, which I have in front of me over here. Now, Rashi, just because you never heard this before, you're still young. There's a lot to learn still. God willing. So Rashi then says, here's where it gets interesting. Rashi writes... Keep on doing this. Hashem Rishon, the first one is Vahu. Vav Shavisa, Hey de Kol Halayla, Vav Devayet. Vishem Hashloshim Visheva, Hu Ani. No. No. The 36th one over here, the 36th triplet, if you look, it's actually the 37th, not the 36th, is Ani. So Ani Vahu is the first and the 37th of these triplets. So Rashi's pointing out is that the name of God, the Shemim Farash, which emerges, now you realize, it emerges right there before the splitting of the sea. The ultimate name having to do with Rachamim is right there. On the, and on the other hand, there is Malach Elohim coming, being turned around and pushed towards the Egyptians. So there's Midat Hadin on the one hand, but on the other hand, this name of God emerges, and we, when we say Ani Vahu, we are channeling those two names of this name and saying, God, please bring... What's the matter? Right, it's supposed to be. And, <laughs> Ani, and, and when then what we're saying is, you're using some of these mystical names of God, part of the name of the 72 names of God, and you're saying, so you know which one, the first and the 37th, is what you're using. It's like, you have to say to God, 1 and 37, you know, get rid of them, right? Or, or even better, 1 and 37, please save us. And, and that's really what it is. Imagine if you said all of them, and that's why I didn't give you all of them. You, too much power, too much responsibility. I don't trust any of you. I mean, I know you. <laughs> right. So now, Tosvot doesn't go for that. So Tosvot writes in... What? <laughs> well, no, well, Tosvot said there's also something else going on. Tosvot in Source 22. And then he quotes Rashi. He says, He goes, he goes, still, we need to understand why those two out of the 72. You, would, you, you I mean, I don't know the statistical uh, chance of randomly taking two out of, se- a- a- out of all those. Why one in 37? Because he liked one in 37? So that's what, to- it's not that he doesn't like it. He's just saying, let's dig a little bit deeper. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not doing this deep enough. He says as follows. Right. Why these more than the other ones? Because there's actually a teaching in Echa Rabati. As it were. That God, that, that there needs to be salvation and God needs to save himself as well. Now, I know that you have no idea what I just now said, so let me, let me try to explain. And we are running out of time, aren't we? So let me try to explain this. In source number 23, we have a citation from, say, Yecheskel, actually the very first Pasuk, right? The very first Pasuk. V'yi So, Ani, that's one, that was one of the triplets. Ani, Betocha Gola. 
So the ani betocha gola, but what did, what does God say to us? That when you're in exile, I'm going to be in exile as well. So this is talking about ani betocha gola. You look at Yirmiyahu, Perak Man Pasuk Aleph, HaDevar Shayayal Yimah Me'et Hashem, Achar Shalach Oto Nuvazdran Rav Tavachim Min Ramah, Bekachto Oto Vuhu Asur Ba'azikin. And he was all tied up with uh, Azikim, with um, with, cha- with chains. And that's the Vahu. Ani Vahu Hoshiana. So what we're saying, what we're saying is, according to Tosfot, is yes, we're saying God, please have these mystical names of God, but we're saying, but God, if we're in exile and you're with exile as well, that means that if we, if we are unable to free ourselves, God, as it were, is also in chains, and God, free yourself, and therefore free us. Enough of the exile, but in order for the exile to end, God has to, as it, he says, kiviyachol, as it were, God in exile is a terrible, terrible situation, and come back, bring us back home. That's really what it is. Anivahu al is God. We're being in exile indicates that you're with us in exile, and free yourself, which therefore then means free us as well. Which therefore, and, and by the way, I told you I had some things from my father here in source number 27. I have a whole shear from Rav Soloveitchik about this, which we're not going to learn because we're not going to have time for. But what I will say is as follows, is that leaving Egypt, where God says that now things will come to fruition, to fulfillment, and now I'm going to keep my promises, it's yes in the sense compared to Bereshit where God is in the background having pushed the button, the start button and everything flows and now nature flows. In the book of Shemot, God gets involved and now we see the hand of, hand of God until finally we get to this point of revelation itself at Har Sinai. And therefore the texture is religiously or theologically completely, completely different. On the other hand, there is this admission that yes, now I'm revealed and till next time. Which means there is, we're not finished yet, and, and there is a longer story taking place over here. And on the one hand, I, I understand why that's completely frustrating, and on the other hand, God is saying, but remember, whenever you go off, I'm going to be with you. And then what we really did is we pointed into three different places that we can discern aspects of the same idea. One is that every single Shabbat, we say the Mizmah Shir, the Yom Shabbat, because Shabbat is great. Shabbat is experientially a time that we're not slaves. It's a, it, it's a time of freedom, it's a time of spirituality. But all that is nothing compared to Shabbat Latid Lavo, when not only do we get rest, but we also get rest, and I'll say rest theologically and emotionally and spiritually, when we finally see the hand of God again, where the wicked are punished and the righteous are rewarded, because that takes our rest, as it were, to a completely different level. And that is about Shabbat in the future. And that's why Shabbat is connected to Yitzhak Mitzrayim, because that that story begins over here and that to a certain extent is the end of the story. Purim, now you realize it's a continuation of the Pesach story of the yeah, Sherry, yeah, yeah. That yeah, that when you go and I'll be with you and when I'm with you, I'm going to be behind the scenes and you're not going to see me. There's going to be no revelation whatsoever but know that I'm with you. Which means... Throughout the Purim story, they should have been saying to themselves, ah, yeah, Sherry, yeah, God is with us. God is with us. And then if something happens as the Purim story ends, and the wicked get punished, and the righteous get rewarded, and say, look at this. This is something connected to the future as well. And that's why when all the other holidays are forgotten, Purim is still going to be celebrated. Because understanding the Purim story, understand that, that understanding that Haman is punished, right? Mordechai is rewarded 
that's also a part of this future world. The holiday of Sukkot is this holiday also that, that points towards the future. And every time we experience Sukkot and we do the Hakafot and we say, on, right, we say, Ana Hashem Oshiyana. And on the other hand, we say, Ani Hashiyana. So now, how remarkable this is. You actually understand two more words of the davening and you realize that, wow, what those words really mean. And Rashi saying, oh, those words are really pretty special because these are three of the triplets that were there when the Midat Adin got turned around and pointed towards the Egyptians. And on the other hand, the Midat Rachamim, which is flowing over there in those three verses right before the splitting of the sea. And it was that incredible Rachamim which saves the Jews at that particular point. And all the Midat Adin gets pushed in this other direction. And that is what we're praying for as this future that we want to be now, where we want God to take all the midat hadin which is there and point it towards that no, those who need to be punished and all of those that deserve to be deserve salvation to God to take that. And then Tosfut says, but it's even deeper because if we're suffering, if there's no real revelation taking place, then God is words with us because yeah, yeah. And if God is with us, that means that God has made himself look as if he's limited. And as it were, God is in chains. And we're saying, God, please break over those chains. Open up those chains. You know, become free. Set us free. Take us with you. Punish the wicked. Reward the righteous. And let us finally experience and see the end of days.